Hey guys, brand new podcast. Uh, I wanted to share with everyone and I wanted to share it with Leanne. Leanne's just here for the very beginning of this. I know a lot of people are uh, concerned and, and I just want to share that uh, we have lost. I may need to start this over. Hold on. Hold on. We're good. Priscilla. We've lost Priscilla Potamus. Potamus Pie. Oh, Pris Pot. I know. She was very special. I know. I'm going to try to readjust. I know that all of you that have listened to the podcast for as long as you have, um, feel like you know that dog. She would come in in the middle of a podcast. Her and Izzy now and uh, make themselves at home and make themselves at home. She was a big dog who would fuck things up. One of my favorite podcast moments is her coming in and sitting on Bill Burr's lap. Mm. She was very special. Very sweet girl, and she was in a lot of pain that came on very suddenly and that we took care of immediately because she was so good to our family, we couldn't let her be in pain. So it's better that she's gone, but it's awfully hard. It's very, very hard. It's very hard, but I wanted you guys to hear it. I've talked about it now. I talked about it on Bill Burt. I'm certain I'll talk about it on Two Bears, One Cave. And I talked about it with um, Bernie Schaub on Fighter and the Kid. And I didn't get emotional on any of them. <laughs> it's because I'm here. <laughs> it's because Leanne's here. And I asked her to be here because I knew I'd get emotional. Well, she and, was more than just a dog. Oh, my God. I mean. She was more than just a dog. Take a, take a second tonight while you have your dog. If you can. Or and your just, cat, or, or your, your cat. cat, and just celebrate them with them by them by yourself. I, I got. I was very lucky. Um, July tenth, July 9th, Priscilla got in bed with me. I didn't know she was going to pass in twenty days. I had no clue, but she got in bed with me, and she was nine years old, and we snuggled hard as fuck. I mean, we had such a great, and I fucking thanked her. Well, I didn't even, I mean, I don't even know if she was sick at the time. And I'm really grateful I did that. I'm really, I, I thought she licked George's face and she licked Isla's face right before she passed. She licked both their faces and she didn't lick mine and she didn't lick Leanne's. And I thought, I don't need it. I don't need you to lick my face. You've done it so many times. And, and I'm OCD, so certain stuff like that fuck with my head. Like if I didn't get a lick, I needed a lick, then I would it would fuck me up and I wouldn't be right for a while. I can lick your face. <laughs> Any of you who have lost an animal uh where where you had to put them down? I uh, I empathize with that. It is extremely extremely difficult and it's really hard for a family to do together. I just want to say you don't have to reach out to me. You don't have to say anything. 
thing life goes on and, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who already has thank you so much for the everyone who's texted me you know you know the dog is special when friends of yours who are also in the public eye text you saying my feed is blowing up about Bert's dog so you know that's a pretty special dog <laughs> she was not a regular dog she was not a regular dog. She was really special. She was one of the greatest fucking dogs that ever, ever lived. Yeah, she was. Ever lived. I mean, just a fucking great goddamn dog. <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun having this fucking dog. People would come in and go, God damn, that's a big dog. That's, that's like having a big dick. That's a big fucking dog. And then you go, yeah. And then every time they go, look at the head on the. I love when people would come in and go, Joe, is your dog cool? You're like, <laughs> It's fucking awesome. It was so great having a big dog and a lovable big dog who wanted nothing more than to get in your lap and get in your face and just snuggle with you. Very, I'm going to put this together, but one of my favorite memories is Shane Torres was here right before we started the tour and he was sitting on the couch. And she, was, she used to, it was my favorite thing about this dog. It was, we fucked her up, but we, we, we taught her to growl at us when, when she wasn't getting petted enough. <laughs> <laughs> So she'd get really focused like this and go. So, so, so I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do it to Leah. So like, so like you'd pet, so pet me. This was the best. So we had a, a babysitter come here one time, right? And we didn't tell her about this. Now, Pris was a 140 pound bull mastiff. If you're just joining the program, <laughs> it was a big fucking dog with a head, the size, like a size Huge. 10 head, right? Crooked teeth. Crooked bottom teeth. <laughs> and just, and so if you petted her she was so pet me this is just to give you she was fine she was fine and then what we do is we'd stop and look away and then priscilla would go <laughs> it was the funniest that we used to laugh hysterically at it because we thought it was fucking hilarious but we had a babysitter one time come over. She's watching the girls. She's watching them. The girls go to bed. She's watching a movie and Pris gets up on the couch and just starts growling in her face. <laughs> a 140 pound dog to a 110 pound little girl, like a woman. And we walked in the door and this woman was like a statue. And by now Pris is going, <laughs> and we're just, she goes, make her stop. <laughs> we, oh, what a great fucking dog. What a great fucking dog. So take a little time. Spend it with your dog. Tell him you love him. Or your cat. Or your cat. Or your snake. Or your iguana. Or and, your parrot. And know one day, life is short. Life is precious. Take care of yourself. I love you, Priscilla Palmas. Priscilla. We got a great podcast. We got a great podcast. <laughs> I didn't mean to put... I don't want to... I, by the way, I'm sure this will happen again. Just so everyone knows, I'm an open fucking book. I'm sure I'll probably break down crying, talking to Tom on Two Bears, One Cave. We're doing that tomorrow morning. I'm sure that I'll break down when someone brings up the dog. I'm an open book. I'm a raw, open source sometimes. So, But I'm good. I'm good. We got a couple reads, and we got a great fucking podcast. The guy on the podcast I've been talking about forever. I wanted you here because I wanted to share not just that. I wanted to share this. The guy on the podcast today, is a guy named Christian Harloff. The first time I did stand-up comedy in Tallahassee, Florida at Pop Ellie's, there were four guys on the show with me. I've told you the story. You've heard the story. It was a crazy room. It was a chaotic night. Everyone did 
their time. I went up last, did like 20 minutes, murdered, and I decided to get into stand-up comedy because of this night. What's most important about this night is sitting on the back porch at Potbelly's. Show's about to start in 20 minutes. I get a beer. I get a, I get a Miller Lite. And this guy, Christian Harloff, who fucking doesn't know me from Adam, doesn't give a fuck about me, knows that I'm in sta- I, I'm, I, that I'm uh, in a fraternity and that I was in the party animal guy and whatever. Dated, by the way, was dating a girl I absolutely adored. Was a, a great, great, great chick. Um, we talk about her. T- not, not much. We just mentioned her name. But um, he stops me and he says, hey, man, I wouldn't do that if, if I were you. And I said, do what? And he said, have a beer before you go on stage. I wouldn't do that. And I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to loosen up. And he was like, yeah, but if you do that now, you'll always have to do that. And then that can be a bad habit. And then you'll need it before you go on stage. You don't want to need it. What you want to do is use that to celebrate after you get off. And I went, okay. And I didn't drink this night in 1997, probably April 10th, whatever the fucking first time I ever got on stage was. I didn't drink. I went on stage sober, which was not the plan. I killed. I had a great time. And I can tell you 22 years later, I've been doing, I I really count my 26th birthday as when I started, but 22 years into stand-up, I do not need alcohol to do stand-up. And it is a very powerful feeling. And I'm not certain I would have gotten to where I am today if alcohol was my, my, my thing to get on stage. I might be dead. You know how much I drink already. And if drinking before the show was a thing, I wouldn't have performed in fucking high pressure situations. I would have, I would have fucking screwed the pooch. I'm, I, I can almost guarantee I wouldn't be doing stand up today. I can almost guarantee it. So this podcast is a huge fucking thank you. It, I'm just a grateful, grateful, grateful podcast. It is a grateful podcast because this guy Christian Harloff moved out to L.A. Got in at the store early, friends with Ari, Steve Renazizi, Steve Simone, Rick Ingram, all the guys that I know at the store. And now he's got a great pay-per-view event this Friday for movie trivia. He has taken movie trivia into like the next realm where, where esports are, where WWE is, or, or wrestling in general. I know there's AEW. What where he's taken to the next level. They have a pay-per-view this Friday. Halston, what's the information? Uh, you can find it at the schmodownlive.com and their YouTube channel is youtube.com slash the schmodown. So check it out if you're into movie trivia. And by the way, just enjoy the podcast, but I want, I want to give him every shout out I can ever give him. You will hear me bring him up a lot in the future, always promoting his shit. Cause like I said, look, we talk about it right up front, but had he not grabbed that beer and just go, Hey man, I wouldn't, I don't know if I, I don't know if, if you wouldn't have. I don't, yeah, and I would have needed to drink every time I got on stage. And trust me, you know me. I might be a shit show. Oh, let's not forget. We have got added shows. I want to tell you this. I know this is a real shift. You're like, Bert, you were just crying about your dog. Now you're talking about going on tour? Well, I, in all honesty, it was Leanne's dog. She was the one that raised it. I was on the road the entire time. I barely feel like that. I feel the same way with my fucking kids, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, oh, God. We have Wichita, Kansas, uh, August 10th. Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri, the 11th, Memphis, the 12th, Louisville, the 13th, Columbus, the 14th, Pittsburgh, the 15th, Philly, the 16th, Cape Cod, the 18th, Oceanport, the 19th. And we have added shows 
to almost all of those dates. There will be two shows. If you couldn't get tickets for the first show, we've added a show. I will see you there. You can go and enjoy an evening out. Wear allowed. Get out of your car. Barbecue. Have cocktails. Pre-party. Tailgate. Put up a little couch. Inflate a bed. Fill up the back bed of your truck with water. Have a fucking blast. Get out of this. Ta- get out of your house and stay socially cis- distanced and safe. And enjoy a, a brand new hour of material. It's all brand new. And it's fucking doing well. And I got a bunch of shit from this weekend. Holy fuck. Hey, you know what? Do you know what Isla said to, to us just out of nowhere? The one thing she's learned over COVID from homeschooling in Texas, you can hit a woman. <laughs> we were like, excuse me. She was like, yeah. And then Leanne goes, you're thinking of, uh, of urban cowboy Isla. That's not real. That wasn't a documentary. She was like, oh, my bad. Sissy, my legs are sweating. Sissy. No, it's mama. My legs are sweating, mama. Mama. My legs are sweating, mama. mama yeah, we're really grooming mama. a great kid. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we love you, Priscilla. I don't know if that's weird that she's listening, but, you know, we love you, Priscilla. If you're listening to this podcast and you reincarnated in someone else's body and now you're listening to this going, wait, I know Priscilla. We love you, Priscilla. Because you'd be one day old. Because you'd be one day old. <laughs> Maybe that was a bad insight. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, from the Schmodown this Friday, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Harloff. I got to start this off by saying we, my first night of stand-up was with you. At Potbelly's. At Potbelly's. And you gave me the greatest advice on a whim. An angel landed on your shoulder that night and you saved my life, my entire career. You, you changed the trajectory of my career and you gave me advice. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just about, I grabbed a Miller Lite and I was going to go pound it before I went on stage. And you said, you just said, I just told this to Brendan Schaub like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. You, you said, I wouldn't do that. And do I it said, afterwards. Yeah. And I said, why? And you said, if you want to take this seriously and take it, like consider it a job, then you shouldn't make this a habit because then you got to do it every time you get on stage, do it afterwards, enjoy the beer afterwards. And I went, okay. And by the way, I, I had never done stand up. I had never done stand up. And that one bit of advice changed me. Christian, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about you. I remember watching a guy do premium blend and he had a bad set. And I remember Barry Katz saying, you know why he had a bad, bad set? It's because he always had something in his hand. Yeah. He always had a drink in his hand on stage. And now he didn't have a drink on his hand. He doesn't know, know what to do with his hands. And I went, fuck. And I, for, to this day, and, and people will go back and forth on whether or not how accurate this statement is. But I will tell you, 95% of my times I've ever got on stage, I have been stone fucking sober the second I walked on stage. Whether I bring a drink with me and enjoy it at the end when I tell the machine story, but that one bit of advice, that one moment changed my career and I will forever be grateful for that. You have no idea how appreciative I am. And I, and for, I understand that it's probably, so, I remember bringing it up a million times and then finding out that you were out here 
I was looking for you. I mean, I, I remember looking for you. I remember you came to New York and did a set at the Boston Comedy oh, Club. Comedy. We, and we were on the phone for about like an hour and a half afterwards for that, too. But, dude, yeah. was, we we missed each other so many different times out here. It's really crazy because we run in the same circles like Renazisi and Ari and all those cats are all the people that I came up with at the store. And that the reason, by the way, that I gave you that advice, because the first time I ever did stand up was at this little shithole in Tallahassee. And I can't remember what it was like a restaurant. It was like a little stage. And I was and when I was I I was nervous and I got hammered. I fell off the stage going so crazy that I was hammered. But I, and not like, not like, you know, uh, Brad, Bradley Cooper in uh, whatever the, the movie that he just did, the uh, Star is Born, <laughs> but like, but more, more so where it, it was just like, I knew I, and I did it a couple different times. Then we were both in fraternities, whatever too. I was in, I was in this fraternity uh, and we, and they wanted me to headline this event. And I got so shit faced that I passed out and I couldn't, I couldn't even perform. So I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm not doing that again because I don't need it. I don't need it. And then we did that. The reason why, because I had heard of you because a girl I was dating at the time you were friends with and she, and she, her her name is Tirza. Yeah, and, I know Tirza. Yeah, yeah, Tirza, and she was, and she, so Tirza like spoke the world of you, like she, and she said, you gotta, you gotta talk to, you gotta talk to Bird and everything too, and I, and I remember that night we were doing, th- and that crowd, by the way, was unruly at Potbelly's, and you crushed, yeah. and you crushed reverse one, you know, and you did for your first, you probably, you know, we always look back at our first set and go, ah, but you crushed, and I remember thinking like that, you could, if you can hit that kind of crowd that night, and you didn't need it, you didn't need to get hammered because you found the energy that night, and I think that that's what I, I did, uh, and I'm glad that that, that that helped you. It meant a lot to me when I heard that you uh, you had been saying that, so thank you. I've said it, I've said it, I've talked about that. I mean, obviously everyone talks about their first night, but it's the things you learn in the in that, in the moment, those that, you know, it's, it's so impressionable. I just did a podcast with David Wayne, and I met David Wayne, um, in Greece. I, I just, and I just, I said this to him, we were doing a meeting about making a movie and I had already done the podcast with David Wayne and, uh, and I just done the intro about David Wayne and, and we take this meeting to, 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 we're making a movie and we're looking for a director. And I say, I said, I said, you know, a lot of people didn't have, don't, they don't have to be nice. Like a lot of people that you meet in this business are dicks and yeah. they, they want to put you down and want to, be in front of you and make sure they're in front of you. And they don't just give you like the kindest urge or, or give you good advice. They, they want to watch you fuck up because it makes them feel better. David Wayne did not do that. He gave me his phone number and he said, when you move to New York, if you really want to be a stand up, call me and I'll help you out. And he invited me to a show. And I, it was like, and I told him, I said, you didn't have to be nice. And he goes, yeah, I think everyone should be nice. And I was like, well, I know, but like, I've been nice because the, the two people, David Wayne and you, that were the first people I met in standup were kind, were kind and, and generous with good advice. And I mean, it really, it really is. It really is. It was a game changer for me. I never, I moved to New York and I, and I would get, I get there and I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't drink the whole night. And then once I got done, I go down to the bag of in. And I start murdering beers. Of course, because you want to celebrate it afterwards too. He's like, okay, I'm celebrating it now. And I think that was part of the conversation was too. Like, it's like, know what you did wrong afterwards. Know what you did right. Know what you, you know, what you liked about it. And then you have a clear head to think about it. Like, and then you can go, shit, I'm going to celebrate though, because I hit my moments. I hit my spots of what I wanted to do. That joke worked. That joke didn't. Um, But now, but I'm not bummed. And plus if you're hammered and you think you do really bad, it's, it, it impacts that much more. And it makes you feel that much worse as opposed to, okay, look, at least, 
least if you're going to drink yourself into sorrow because you have a bad set, you're making that choice because you fucked up and you know, you want to do this. Okay, look, I'm going to get bombed here. I'm going to sit down and say, all right, what did I do? And then tomorrow I'll go up sober and then I'll drink again when, when I'm happy. So yeah. it's like, yeah, man. But I'm glad my, my dad was the one who kind of installed that in me about like, you want to, you want to be nice to people and you want to like encourage people because like, for example, like had I been a dick to you that night, I was like, Oh, there's this guy, Birdie, he's in Rolling Stone and fuck him. He's going to come up here. And, and and, because all these other guys are doing stand up already for a little bit. I was like, let's be, let's just be, let him him fall on his face. Who's that serve? Who's that serve? It's so funny. You're the only one I remember. You're the only, I mean, there were like, I think there were five of us that night. Yeah. And you're, only one I remember at like, and, and I, and I've literally never forgotten about you. Never once forgotten about you. So wait, I, what I'd love to do on this podcast, because I know that you have tons of shit going on right now. Yeah, yeah. I would love to talk. I would love to talk. Cause I know where, I know where my direction went. I want to talk about your direction because as we both, I got hit by a bike one time in uh, by a bicyclist in New York when I was barking at Boston Comedy Club. And mm-hmm. all I thought was, all I could think was, our two lives started in two different places and then hit, and then I'll never see her again. But our, what if our destiny was just that bike accident? And I thought, we should have fallen in love. But I keep thinking, <laughs> our two paths came close, came close, hit, and then went off, but then landed in the same place again. And I, um, I want to know about this part of your journey. Like, sure, sure. I'm curious about where, like, getting to Florida State and all that stuff. But I want to know about what happened a- after you graduated and where you went and how you found out how you found where you are today. So I've told the story as far as like where it was uh, my California, because like, I was I was kind of a geeky kid growing up, right? And and like when you're in New York, I was not one of the cool kids. And I went. My mom took me to San Diego when I was like in the seventh grade, and for like three. Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? In Queens, in, uh, in, in Bayside, in Queens. And, you know, and then when I went, dude, when I went to San Diego for three weeks, I was the cool kid. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I was the cool New Yorker. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. I'm like, I'm coming back to California. One way or another, I'm getting back to California. And as you were just telling the story with uh, how, like, that's, that, that conversation you and I had stuck in your brain, California always stuck in my brain. And I had to, even when I was at Florida State and I was partying, doing all that stuff, I'm like, I got to get to California. So I got into a car. I just got my wisdom teeth pulled out and I drove like, like the day after and drove with my dad from uh, Seminole. He lived in Seminole, Florida to uh, you're from Tampa, aren't you? Yeah. 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 I'm from okay, Tampa. Yeah, so you've seen it there. So, so is that so, how you got to Florida state? Your dad lived in Seminole. So I went to Iona college my first year. My dad moved to um, St. Petersburg and was living in Madeira beach at the time. And I fucking know that place very well. Nadera was great, man. I was very relaxing when I went. And, and, but anyway, he's like, I was there. I was going out with this girl for a little bit. We broke up and my dad's like, just move here. I mean, you, you go to school, like SBJC for like a semester and then you transfer to Florida state. And I was like, fine, I'm going to do that. And that was my path. I did that. I went to SBJC for like a semester, got my grades up, went to, uh, uh, went to Florida state, got there did stand up the first time in at Florida state, that story in, in itself, dude, that's, you talk about how things come around like fate wise. I was, I had always wanted to do stand up because my dad, as I used to watch the old HBO specials, the Dangerfield ones. And like, like the one night stands, you know, uh, I used to watch Damon Wayne's like one night stand all the time. I used to watch all these just religiously bill Hicks and watch them religiously. And I always wanted to do it. And there was this thing. I went to theater school, at Florida state. And I saw which is, this which is, for people that don't know is like acclaimed. It's a good, it's a really good school, but I, I, it's, again, I felt like an outcast there because everyone was in, like into the Broadway and all that kind of, I wanted to do stand up, 
And, and I saw this posting on the board that they had there. And I was like, all right, let me, let me check it out. So I, I called this guy, his guy's name was Mike, Mike Shader. Right. And, and he says, and he goes, he's like, Hey, uh, can do you have tape of yourself for like 10 minutes? I'm like 10 minutes. What? My bathroom with a, with a VHS camera? Like, what, 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 no. Anyway, it's so fun to hear these stories as, as like grownups now that you're like, where the fuck are you going to get 10 minute tape? Especially back then, who the fuck had cameras? No, exactly. I'd have to like get one of those big like Chevy Chase cameras from Vicky oh. in order to do it. So I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I didn't even call him. I didn't even call him. And I was like, forget it. I'm just not going to do it. And he called me again like two months later. And he's like, hey, I never heard back from you. I was like, <laughs> I, honestly, dude, I don't have a tape. I'm like, I don't have a tape. And he's like, why don't you just come and meet me? So I met him for, for like, I don't know, it's a coffee or lunch, whatever it is too. And he's like, do you, you want to, do you want to do stand up on my show? And I started out with, and, and as you know, like when you in New York or LA, you get three minutes and that's a good thing. I started out with like eight to like eight for the first couple. And then I started doing 15 in Tallahassee. Ooh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. And then, well, let's, let's not pretend it was good. Let's just, let's just, let's just say that that's the time that I was getting. Bro, and, bro, bro. I gotta, I gotta, I want to, I want to parallel you because yeah. I got, I remember taking meetings like it's so funny when you think now how meaningless they were, but meeting with people who were starting media companies in Tallahassee in 1995 and 96. And they were like, Oh, they take a meeting with you. I remember one guy going, you got good cords, man. He was a fucking senior. He was just a couple years older than me. His dad had money. Who fucking knew? And I was like, I hung my hat on that. I got good cords. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit. I'm going to name my first book. I got good cords. I wish I had that kind of confidence in Tallahassee to take yeah. a general meeting at a pot bellies with somebody. Oh, that's, well, that's what we did. But dude, that's what I started. And, and that tour, that, that, that company was, that's what they did. And I didn't realize how beneficial that was because you know, there's no stage time in Tallahassee. Oh. Like, I didn't know what that was yet. I didn't really learn that until New York and LA, but like, but so I was getting stage time all the time because of this troop. And that's the, the troop that wound up, you know, because uh, that we met at pot bellies. But anyway, all that. And then I was also studying filmmaking and all. And so I was like, I got to get to L.A. So I graduated and I drove with my dad. You graduated when I graduated, right? Ninety seven. Ninety nine. Ninety nine is when I, okay. I, I. So you were in college two more years after I left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So ninety nine was when um, I, cause I, I stayed for an extra. I think I, it was like the scared, not scared syndrome, but I wanted I, I knew what I, I knew that I wanted to hang out because my last semester there i i think i was taking one credit and i was just hanging out with this i was i was dating this girl at the time and i was just like okay i'm just gonna stick around with her and then left drove there got to got to california and really i went to like you know you know the new york film academy is uh no it's like this program and they had done something and, I, and during one of the summers i took off from florida state and i came out to ucla and they did the new york film academy i was staying in ucla it was like, like a, a full like a close to a full summer and, um, and then I learned, I kind of learned LA a little bit that way. And I met the, and one of the directors there was this kid. I wound up, okay, why don't we move to LA? Let's get an apartment together. So I did that. And I started my buddy who I knew at uh, Florida state, he was working at this company called intermedia, which is a film production company. So for my first day, I'm like, he got me a job, like answering phones and stuff. And my first day, Francis Ford Coppola comes in. I'm like, this is it. I've made it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Ryan Foley. It's raining luck on this kid. <laughs> this is it. And meanwhile, you know, I'm like, everything's turning up Christian. It, dude. It, and then the next day I'm dropping phone calls left and right. I was a disaster with the phones. I was like, no, I was as bad. I was as bad of answering phones as I was working at CPK. And, and like, and I'm, I'm just realizing, you know, as I've got this job, I'm like, this is not why I came here to do like, what am I, what am I doing? And so 
my my buddy Adam takes me to for my birthday. We go to the improv. It's it's and I I do this story to this day. Um, so it's packed. It's jammed up, and I actually was drinking for my birthday because I was just sitting. I it wasn't planning to go up. I was just sitting there. So Rick Overton, who I'm sure you know, is is yeah, is up there in with this troupe, and there. Didn't Rick Overton go to Florida State? I don't know if you went to Florida. No, no, I almost mm-hmm. certain. It's, it, wait, there's two guys I always confuse. Rick Overton. Eisen, Rich Eisen. No, no, not Rich Eisen. Rick Overton went to Florida State. Okay. I swear to God, hold on one second. I'm going to Google this. You might be right. Okay. I, I never talked to him about that, though. By the way, I, I, that's how I want to say that's how I met him. N- never the nicest guy to me. Overton? Uh, yeah, he was never the nicest guy to me. But but the one thing we had in common, I think, is that we both went to Florida State. Maybe. I think he did. No, it doesn't no. say. Wait, okay. I'm thinking I'll keep, I'll, I'll figure it out. All right. So, so Overton is doing this. Um, he's doing this, this troop on, I can't remember. It must've been like a Friday or so. The place is packed. like sold out of the improv in Melrose. And he's up there and he goes, all right, well, this is the time of the show where we ask somebody to come on up. And if they want to, nobody normally does, but we want to, and we'll try to knock you off the stage with our jokes and nobody's doing this. I'm like, fuck it. So I get up there and you know, you have those moments. I was just, I was on. So they were coming after me like sharks in the fucking water, man. Like they're like, they smelled blood. And I was like swatting them off. And I was, and I just had a really good set. And I remember like feeling that pop. And at the end, I'm like, you know, you have that, you know, when you have that really good set and you're like, all right, I just did it. And this woman taps me on the shoulder and she's like, you were incredible. And I turn and it's fucking Sarah Silverman. Right. So I look at her and what I should say at this point, Bert, what I should say is thank you. Um, I've seen you at the Boston comedy club back in the day. Um, can I buy you a drink so I can, I'd love to pick your brain about getting, you know, some, any, any advice you can give. Instead I go, you were great. And something about Mary, she's in it for two seconds. And I walked away like a dick face. Like it was the worst moment. Like when I look back at it, so dumb, so dumb. And it was like, people i i talk about that all like as that memory of me reminds you that's the one i always think of what an idiot i hear sebastian in my head going why did you (laughs) so it's like uh yeah anyway so but that whole thing what that did for me is it it ignited my love again to say well you don't want to answer phones at at intermedia you want to be on stage so i started doing the you know the like everyone else doing the bringer shows and and everything else and, and getting up. And, and then I started making my rounds. It's where I met like Tripoli and, and, uh, and all of those guys and, and Brett Ernst. And I started doing, and the met at this manager, I started, do you, I don't know if you were out here. When did you get out here? I got out. So I'm, I moved to Tallahassee in 97 and I ca- first came out. I first came out probably 99. Yeah. Okay. So did you do, did you ever do Luna park? Not the uh, Luna park and Robertson. No, I know. No, dude, that was a spot. Like, I mean, like everybody who's like, that's the first time I ever saw, um, uh, Zach Galifianakis used to perform there all the time. Uh, Odenkirk, like all people just coming in left and right this place, but they had a really good, that's where I met Tripoli. It's where I met all this Meretta. I met all these people there and I started to kind of learn the scene at this, at this place. And that's where I met. And I met Ernst at Dublin's because I started doing Dublin's because Jay Davis. Yeah. yeah, Jay Davis started. It was the best. Jay Davis started booking me at Dublin's. There should be a documentary on Dublin's. Wouldn't it be smart? Would, I know this didn't exist, but wouldn't it have been great if Jay Davis had just taped every fucking set and could go through and do a fucking one-hour special of Dane in his prime? Look, you can yeah. say Dane, say whatever the fuck you want to say about Dane, yeah. but his or, or his prime. I mean, not, not don't talk shit about him, but like 
Dane Cook's prime was Dublin. Hundred percent. He'd, he'd probably tell you as much. He'd probably tell you as much too. When he so he came in. I was hosting this show called Collider Live last year. Collider Live last year, and Dane came in, and we talked for like an hour and a half, and we talked about Dublin for a while. And that was that was the place because it was very similar. It's it's like it was such a strange atmosphere because it had that rock star atmosphere, and it could have been a rowdy bar, but yet they paid attention. It was strange. Yeah. So and then Vince Vaughn would be standing up in the back. Everybody watching. would be up there too. Like nuts. Drew Barrymore used to come in. Like all the time, it was it was nuts. And I remember, I remember they were like they were like in uh, sync is here with Britney Spears. So, <laughs> and I remember I remember uh, the first part, time I ever saw uh, Felipe Esparza, fucking destroy. Yeah, destroy. You had to figure out how to how to navigate that room though. That was the thing is that you have you couldn't just go up in Dublin's and do your normal normal set. You had to navigate that room to the energy of that place. And I was I had a manager at the time and, and she had she had known Jay and Jay started getting me up and Jay and, and Jay gave me a lot of spots at Dublin's. And that helped because I started learning more, uh, more meeting more people. And that's where I met Brett Ernst and, and Ernst and I became really good buddies. And, and and I remember it was like 2002. Well, there's another chunk of my story where I became a writer for the WWE. Um, which, I love hearing about that. So, I mean, I could, I could, the, 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 as I was making my way up through stand up comedy and, and doing, and doing all the, the shows and learning more people, and I stopped doing like the bringer shows and started getting spots because people liked what I was doing. I was still didn't make any money. I wasn't doing anything. And I was a big wrestling fan. And so I wrote, um, I, well, my buddy's girlfriend worked at WWE and like in accounting. And so WrestleMania 17 was coming, was coming on. And, and we, we drove to Houston. And I saw Paul Heyman um, in who was if you're a wrestling fan, you know who Paul Heyman is. And yeah, Paul Heyman, and he was in the he was in the uh, he was with all the wrestlers were at this bar in Houston. And Paul was down there and everybody was going up to the wrestlers. And I went up to Paul and I said to Paul, I said, listen, I know a lot of people talk to you about like wanting to be a wrestler. How do you become a writer? He goes, write a letter. I said, I did that already. He goes, write another one. I said, all right. So I took that, watched WrestleMania, went back to L.A., I wrote a ton of letters, found out from my buddy's girlfriend who everybody was on the creative team. And I sent them all letters, kept sending them. And it was like Shawshank Redemption. Please stop sending us letters. Fine. Just, just, you know, give some samples. And I did that. Um, they flew me out to Stanford. I had a meeting with them and I became a, and I was a writer with them for like two months. And it was very quick. It was just like, they, they kind of recycle LA writers, but nonetheless, I learned a lot from the experience and, and actually wound up made, meeting Booker T who I work with now. And do yeah. stuff with him now. Um, I've kept up some relationships with a couple people from the organization there too. But got back to LA and realized afterwards that I had to run after stand up like 150 miles an hour. Um, and then that's when Brett Ernst is like, "Look, dude, I get I get one recommendation for people to be regulars, and I wanted to be you." And I was like, "All right, I'm not gonna let you down." And when I went to and so I don't know how it was like how it is now, but like when I was going, there was. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, you could you like could be when Mitzi would watch you. Um, yeah. And so I went, I went Sunday, Monday, and and they were like, okay, so Mitzi's not going to be there. And a lot of these people, when I was on my, on the you know the pledge class, if you will, for w w they were not going up because and I was I remember saying to this guy, why aren't you going up? He's like, well, Mitzi's not going to be here tonight. I'm like, who gives a fuck? I'm like, you got time at the store. And, and I would go up all the time. And then I remember after it went from like three minutes to three minutes to six minutes to 10 minutes. And she passed me. She's like, you were really, you really fine. I want you to be here a lot. Stay. And I was like, it was the best day of my life. 
It was the best day yeah. of my life. And Ari pulled me aside. And he's like, the reason, like, he's like, I think one of the main reasons that you got past is because you're the only person that like hung out and people know who you are. And it was, and it was like, so that, so my, my life from like 2000 and like 2002 into like 2004 was, was the store. I breathed, breathed lived, slept like the store. And then I came. Like, now, what was the store like then? What, well, I'm trying to think. I just. Stinky gym. It was like Mickey stinky gym, dude. Really? Oh, it was, it was, it was, it, but in, I say that in the, in the most loving way ever. It was, it was, it was just, it's not the thriving stone it is today. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's in its prime right now. It was, it was, but it, but it, it, but it was my favorite club to do because it was the toughest club to do. And like, you know, improv, I'd go up and I would do spots and it, and I have great spots and I'd love doing it because it was, just, and La Jolla, you know, was, was obviously it's like the, it's the easy, it's the easy spot, but OR, 1 30 in the morning after Rogan's just done two hours, you know, if I'm crushing, like that's when you have to like, you got, you got to cut your teeth and you got to, you got to really, you learn how to be a fucking stand up comedian, like in that room. So, so this is, so this is store 2002 is, uh, is, uh, Caprilla is not popped yet. Right. But he's getting Freddy's, it, he's, getting yeah. he's destroying Freddie Soto is still alive. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Sebastian is is kind of coming up. Just stop being an employee and starting to really make his moves. Yeah, Eddie okay. Griffin's doing twenty five hours a night. So Eddie Griffin, that's a, that's someone I miss. I, I missed. I never got to see him. I've never got to see him live any anywhere ever. Um, Carlos Rogan. This is like this is the sapling time of the store of where it is today, and and kind of how it got there is that moment in history easily easily and it was so there was there was so much going on and so i mean just like the rivalries and things that have bobby lee you know my the two comedians so to, to rewind a little bit when i first got to la i drove to the comedy store this is this is probably like 99 i drove to the comedy store nobody was there and i just walked in to the or and i stood on the stage and i said to myself this is where carlin and and you know Pryor and, and williams had all been and i'm, I'm gonna get on this stage eventually um, but I went there that night to watch a show and I'll never forget the two comedians I saw that night were Bobby Lee and Mike Young. Those are the two that stuck out to me were those two cats. And I became buddies with, with both of them, you know? And, uh, but anyway, so, you know, just Mike Young, Mike Young to this day has one of my, like, I, you know how, like whatever, whatever the things that guide you in your job are, like one of the things that I loved, Mike Young told one joke and I said, I want all my jokes to sound like that. Meaning. I want him to be authentic to the place where people go, oh, he didn't make that up and write that. That's real. Yeah. The joke was, the joke was, do you ever have that one friend that was a real psycho? Like you guys would all want to get into some dirt and he'd just take it to the next level. He's like, hey, you guys want to go to TB Brenda's house? He's like, yeah. And then let's go kidnap her fat dad. <laughs> I wanted, I know for whatever reason, people may hear that differently. But when I heard it, the way he told it, I went, that's, that's real. He had that friend and like, and I was like, I don't want to just come up with jokes that are like, you ever have that friend who's, you know, like the, the drunk guy at the party. And he's like, right. hey, everybody, I wanted it to be authentic. Right. You want to be able to, well, did you made it, he made you feel like you were in, you were in that room with them and, and you're talking you're, about yeah, it. And you yeah. grew up with them. And, and right. all of a sudden, like you were there. It's funny that one joke like that changes the way you start looking at writing and you're like, oh, I, I don't want to do like, you know, it's fun to do at a bank like go up behind somebody. Like, I, I want to do like, I want to make things authentic. Well, it's that's crazy. also, that's the reason why like the, the pot podcasting has become as popular as it has also, because especially with comedians is that in fact, 
those types of long, longer stories, you know, his podcast like is, is great. And as it just as a genuine dude, I want to see his podcast be like the biggest thing is Steve Simone. Like you talk about a storyteller, dude, that guy is one of the best storytellers in the world, in the yeah. world. Like, so Steve, Steve and Rena ZC, Ari, Rick Ingram, those are all like dudes that I kind of came up with, you know, like uh, I remember, yeah. do, do you remember James Painter? Uh, no, no, but I, I've heard Ari talk about him. Oh, yeah. Tell me, tell me about him. Dude, this guy was just, I mean, Ingram just sent me this a set. I'm, I'm going to text it to you after this, this show. And it was, it's like this long lost set. He would either like this. He is the definition of an OR comedian back in 2002, 2003. So his, his style, his stuff, his edgy, like uh, Twitter would have a field day with this guy right now. Right. Cause you know, the way that the culture is, but like, he is just, he was so raw and crazy and would take risks. But then do you remember blue Iris? Yeah. Okay. So Blue Iris was this, it was part of the Don Barris's show and like the Ding Dong show, but she was a, she was a, like a 60 or 70 year old porn star. She wound up going on like Howard Stern and stuff too. And it just crazy shit. She would go up on stage sometimes and it was just, it was weird. So Painter puts on this blue wig and starts calling himself Blue Painter. Um, Bert, I'm not going to lie to you. To this day, I have never seen, I was sitting next to Caparillo, Simone, I think Sebastian was standing up on the side. And so Painter tells all these disgusting jokes as Blue Painter. And he goes, the other day I was having sex with my boyfriend. And he said, Blue, your pussy smells terrible. I said, that's not my pussy. That's this dumpster we're fucking in. Said, but Blue, we're not fucking in a dumpster. Oh, yeah. Well, it's definitely my pussy then. (laughs) The place for a minute straight, I recorded it on the, my stupid recorder and I never heard laughter, roar, like roaring laughter from the entire, it was a lot of comedians, but people just screaming. He went up to La Jolla to do that. It was like, imagine him trying to do it in church. It was, no, just no, it just, we're not having it. But Painter is a legend among comedians. Dude. He was one of my favorites to watch because he would, yeah, buddy. Okay. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's like, that was his real voice. <laughs> you would have loved you would have loved him he's, he's nuts he was, i don't know what happened to him, but have you ever had ingram on on your show i think so I, th- I think i had him and eleanor on my cooking okay. show okay yeah i uh it, those it, that that time in in the store is such a like fascinating time because you had such these authentic voices these like like they talk about um i, I i'm forget i'm drawing a blank on his name but uh the cop uh, is a police officer. Oh, that. Uh, oh, uh, I, uh, I what's um, her name? Drowned her kids. Uh, now, I, hold on a second. Fucking uh, Rogan talks about him every fucking time. About he's he's got a mustache, gray hair now. He's still funny oh, as oh, oh, oh uh, Holtzman. Uh, Brad, Brad, Brian Holtzman. Brian Holtzman. Like, oh, God, you had all I these think. authentic voices. Brody Stevens, yeah. like all these really great, great, great voices. And then, and then you had this we- weird bickering behind the scenes of the guys that were playing the business. Like there was this, like it, w- it was really, I'm very fascinated by that time because Ari is someone who I, I don't think, I've never thought plays the business, but I know plays the business. Like I know he knows agents and managers and executives. He's always been very savvy to all that. And I, I have not, I've never have. Sugura knows agents and managers. I've never known. I could tell you 
three managers tops. If you gave me a million dollars, I couldn't name a fourth uh, in, endeavor. I don't even know if that's an agency or a manager. So, so like, so like, but it's just not the career I had where like I got shifted into a different lane. And then all I remember hearing about the store was like Caparillo versus Joey versus Joe versus Ari versus versus Bobby versus uh, fucking Carlos versus versus J- Freddie Soto versus Eddie versus every like it was like yeah. the whole business side comics versus these truly authentic bizarre broken toy comics like where you're like dude you should have seen like it's it, you know it's Brody Stevens is the prototype everyone can kind of attach to now is like bro, even though Brody had opportunities in the business he would definitely fuck them up because he was Brody. Yeah. But that's what we loved about Brody. Yes. I put Ingram in the same category because Ingram, Ingram was another well, there's a lot of guys. I wasn't going to name guys that I know now, but there's a lot of guys that uh, I'll, I'll say, I won't say another guy's name, but one of Ari's really good friends is one of the most self-destructive, a couple of them are yeah. some of the most destructive, self-destructive people where I've met them and I'm friends with Ari, one of them. And he's been outright, rude to me but he doesn't need to because i like him right. but that's who he is he's a brilliant comic just broken and 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 you go and you go how did those guys survive when i know that the other ones were literally climbing over their backs to right. like get double sets in the or well because and, that's and, one of the reasons because one of the reasons is that so like guys like i mentioned ingram because ingram was very different because when he started he was doing sets and then he said fuck it, that's not who i am ingram just will just tell you exactly he, he works the crowd and people are saying, you can't do that. And he's like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do and not playing necessarily the business. But when you're a comics comic and the guys like Painter and Brody and Ingram and guys like at Holtzman went because they're, because you know how it is. Like when you're in the, like when you're there every night, you don't, there's not a lot of, I didn't watch a lot of people's sets. I always watched Painter. I always watched Sebastian. I always watched, uh, I always, I always watched Ingram and Brody I, because of everything you just said. It was like when they went up, they were just, it didn't matter if they you were going to crush or not. They were just going to do what they did the way they did it. And I think that, you know, I'd put, I'd put, this is going to sound silly. I'd put Sebastian in that group because yeah. Sebastian seems to have a very much like go in, do the job, leave or keep working in a different area. Like, and then you look at like, like I'll use Ari as an example because I can't, I can't fail with Ari. Like I, I don't, I can say whatever I want about Ari, but like, you look at Ari and you go, or, or I, I don't know John Caparulo I, I, at all. I, and so, but like, you look at them and you go, I look at, like, how did, the, how did the two coexist? And how can the appreciation coexist? It's, it's bizarre to me because now I, I would say the store is straight up business. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of broken toys left. It, and in a weird way, I feel guilty because I know that my presence there got rid of a lot of the broken toys. Like my presence there took How's spots. Oh, so took spots. Is that what you're saying? Took spots. Yeah, me, Segura, yeah. Uh, Jim Jeffries, uh, David Spade, Norm McDonald, a list of guys. Sure. So I feel. I remember hearing. I remember hearing. This is one of my. This is what I love about the store, it, and and uh, you know, and it, sadly it applies to me. But like, I remember being in the back bar, getting ready to do my set in the OR. I'm by myself. I'm going through my joke book, and in that little smoking lounge in the back. I hear them. Talk, I hear a group of comics who I will, will remain nameless, talking shit about me. Like while you, while you were right there, but they don't know that I can hear them. The air conditioning is not on. They don't know that, and they're just trashing me. 
Yeah. And they're, and they're saying exactly what I said. Guys like Bert, and they named a few of my friends, have ruined this place. Segura, Bert, uh, the, they've just ruined this place. This isn't well, Mitzi with that, that comics that just weren't getting spots anymore. Were they people comics who that, comics that weren't getting spots? Yeah. And, uh, and they were like, Mitzi would roll over in her grave. If she saw these guys acts, these guys aren't funny. They're fucking they're celebrity comics, whatever, whatever term they use. It was like, they're not like store comics. They're improv comics, the road comics. And they kind of went through a list of a lot of guys, a lot of guys that, I think are super talented. I know, I know I wasn't, I didn't take offense to it because I got clumped into a group of guys that are working in the store that are super talented and some that aren't, some that aren't. Yeah. And, and, um, and I, I recognized a couple of voices, but I wanted to make sure I knew. So I just kind of got done before I was about to go on stage and I walked out of the smoking lounge. I said, Hey, what's up guys? And everyone froze and they were like, ah, but it was nice to, kn- you know, it's like, it's like the way racism is now where it's like, at least it's in the fucking open. Like, Jesus Christ, can you imagine people were doing that for years behind everyone's back? Like, at least fucking make your horrible behavior known. It, for me, it was like, it was like I, I kind of knew that already. It was nice to hear them say it. Well, like, you, you knew they were saying it, it wasn't paranoia anymore. It was, re, it was reality. It was reality. And I thought, yeah. you know what? And, and to be dead honest with you, I definitely have had times in my career where, where I wasn't the dude on the list. That I, I've never bumped anybody, but I wasn't the dude that, got the good spots, like those before 11 o'clock spots, yeah. you know? And but, so I, I understood it. I understood it and I, I accepted it. And I went, you know, yeah, that, 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 that does suck for some, yeah. you know? And, and, but it's interesting because I feel like, you know, one of the things that made the store beautiful was the broken, like listening to Brody piss and moan about getting uh, spots, never getting a spot before midnight, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Well, that was, and that was part of, that was, I mean, again, when I was, I was like 26 when I got made a regular and like I, so back then, you know, I would go and, and they would give you spots and I would look and, and, and whether I got spots, I did things where I did things a little differently because I was one of the few people ever that became like, after I became a regular, then I got a job at the door and people were like, why did you do that? And because, the, because the reason why I got more employee spot, I got employee spots plus other spots. And I would do, I would do employee spots. I would do regular spots, but do spots. And plus I, I, I was a jerk off war- worker, to be honest with you. I used to get stoned in the parking lot with Ingram and then I'd go home and Dean yeah. was like, you don't want it. Why are you working here? What are you doing? He's, I was like, I'm getting spots. He's like, just get spots. So I, just, I, remember, I remember Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Dean was the, Dean was the, uh, was the manager at the time too. But I, and then, and the other reason why is because I wanted to be there more often because I wanted to watch and I wanted to learn. I wanted to take the place in, but what you're talking about though, with, that that stuff that that's been here since since when Pryor and 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 Williams yeah. and all those guys you know it's like I remember shit man when fucking when when like Dean and and all, and when people would be complaining about everybody when it's just it's yeah. it's part of it you know it's it's, it's totally part of it and then, by the way it's not it's like I've been the guy on the outside going like uh like I'm I can't I can't I can't use the exact names but like I remember working the door at the Boston Comedy Club and a dude rolling up from uptown. Like from not uptown is a black scene, but like uptown, like and coming down and destroying and watching the same people that weren't booking me fawn over him and be like, fuck that guy. He's not working the door. He just showed up. Are you fucking kidding me? And then you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I've been busting my ass at the door. And that's one of the things that, and by the way, it happened to me in New York. It's one of those things that it's part of the business is you don't have to earn shit. You just got to get there. Like, there's no, there's this fucking, this concept that 
You got to work your way to that. You got to earn it is bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. You don't think how so I fucking all you got to be is good. Good. Be undeniable. And that's all the fucking matters. You got to have drive. You got to have drive though, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, but like I showed up, I showed up in New York. I worked the door for six months and Will Smith's company came in and discovered me because of the Rolling Stone article. And I got a development deal right away. And I was like, well, fuck. And then I remember people going like, you didn't, you didn't earn your way. You didn't, you didn't pay your dues. And I was like, well, hold on. What am I supposed to do? Like say no to this deal. So am I supposed to go like, Hey guys, this deal should go to dot, dot, dot first. Like, so that's one of the things. And, and, and like, for whatever you could say negative about me and and me taking spots at the store, I I also am a a pretty accomplished comic and I've been doing it for 22 years. And I think I've earned my spot there in my hard work and my dedication and doing the road as hard as I have and all the writing I've done and the specials I've put out, but on the same thing, dude, fucking Kevin Hart shows up at the Boston comedy club first fucking day, call in for spots anytime you want them. And you're like, Holy shit. And I'll tell you, Kevin starts, Kevin Hart was, has always been very talented, but his act wasn't like brilliant, right. but like, trust me, me, big Jay Okerson, And we're like, how the fuck did that happen? Uh, yeah. Well, but that, but like what you're saying though, and it's like, you, you want, I think that there is a, the thing with the comedy store also that people have to realize, even though it's even that time that I loved when I was there, the business wasn't thriving the way it is now. And the reason that it also does thrive is that you put people in that have audience, you know, when you put, and, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't put people on audience that, that, that have an audience that, are, that isn't right for your club. Yeah. So comedy store management does think that you're right for the club. They do think that yeah. you should divide. Hey, are, you crushing, yeah. are you crushing when you go? Are you having good sets? And you are, and you're bringing an audience. Well, it's, it's a fucking business. You know, it, it's a business. And it'll go like, back. It'll go back to broken toys when this COVID right. thing's over. And I think it'll take, it'll be a few months where it's back to regular old comedy store. Dude, I mean, I, that, I don't know that it was, that was when, that was the whole scenario where I'm sure you heard the story with the, when, when I already put the, the, the shit on, on Bobby Lee's door handle and all no, that. I, mean, I know um, I've heard the story, but that's, they, they, they were, they had wars. Those two, they were like friends, but they would, it, it, it was, it was my favorite reality show to go to. Like I would, yeah. I, like my friends are like, would be at, at play. Oh, we're going to watch Sopranos. I'm fuck that. I'm going to the store. Get better. I'll get better stuff there. Like it was the stuff that would happen in the, like the, the, these, like they were like really good friends and they'd be in these wars together. And then all that, you know, like you mentioned before, the Mencia shit went down. I had performed the night before all that went, when I was at the, I was at the, I had a set in the OR and then I was supposed to have a set that night and I didn't, I didn't go up and I don't remember why. And, and all that shit went down afterwards too. And I just meant like that kind of stuff that like, it happened all the time. And like, that was a turning point for the store though. All that, when all that went down, because that was the thing for me is that like you were mentioned before, the difference is like, cause when you listen to Rogan, like Rogan was like the, the purest was stand up and like the, the fact that all that, like there were two different sides. And when the management of the comedy store kind of took Carlos aside, like shit, when it, it was a very different time at that point, I think that's when it kind of, all shifted and all changed and it started to become a different, very different thing because that was, a, I mean, it's political also, right? It's a political thing in, inside of it, but it, that was, that was a massive, massive thing that switched the face of the store. Gentlemen, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? I know I am definitely not. I'm trying to lose weight horrifically, but what I know is that Manscaped is here to ensure your post quarantine body is ready for the wild. Don't be the guy at the beach bearing the rug on your chest. And if you grew some quarantine mantis, the least you can do is make sure they're either hairless or trimmed 
perfectly. I trim mine like a like a Caesar haircut. I, I, I just line them up, and it makes me look defined. I also, I'll show you, I trim my arm hairs. My underarm hairs are sworn. Why? Because I don't smell. Manscaped is dedicated to bring your body grooming game up to the next level. They've ever, forever changed the grooming game with the perfect package. 3.0, the perfect package kit comes up with the essential lawnmower, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and it's tiny, and it's perfect, and, it's, and it does not snag. So many times, if you bring out like liners, you'll catch some part of your underarm and cut it, and you will bleed forever. But with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, it does not snag. I love it. I use it on my balls. I don't shave. I shave my balls and then I shave like my inside of my thighs where those long, straight Captain Caveman hairs grow. And I don't want to cut anything down there because I usually shave it before I go running. I also shave my asshole because sometimes, and you'll hear this on the new tour, when I run or walk in human places, my thing ties up like that. My point is, this thing is fucking awesome. You can even trim with an arrow pointing to the promised land if you're bold enough. Be sure to use their crop cleaner to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's good for as healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find Manscaped's Crop Preserver, an anti-ball chafing deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day long. You also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step. Subscribe to the perfect package and you get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts. The Shed Bag Travel, a value of $39 added, and the Patent High Performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxer briefs get 20 percent off plus free shipping by using the code bert at manscape trust me this trimmer is worth all of it i swear to god it is tiny you can travel with it i use it to trim my cheeks up get 20 percent off plus free shipping using the code bert at manscape.com do yourself a favor and always use the right tool for the job get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code bert at manscape.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping at manscape.com and use the code bert trust me your chesticles will be their besticles. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, it's trim your chesticles with your besticles. With the besticles. There we go. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. This podcast is also brought to you by Element, which last podcast I mispronounced as Element T. And by the way, we also did that on Two Bears, One Cave. We just are such idiots. We read the letters, but it's pronounced Element. I want to tell you about this and correct myself because I absolutely have been living by these. Hydration is the most important aspect of living a healthy lifestyle, waking up each day to feel your best. If you know me, I like to party, and, and, and I also like to crush a morning workout, but struggling with headaches and leg cramps and fatigue, electrolytes, electrolytes are critical. Drinking Element replaces these essential electrolytes without the sugar, the artificial ingredients, the coloring, all that other junk that's found in popular electrolyte drinks on the market, it's not there. Element was developed by Rod Wab Wolf, a former research biochemist and two-time New York Times best-selling author. And his coaches, they helped him come up with that because they were frustrated with the lack of healthy electrolyte options that were on the market. Their customers included uh, three Navy SEAL teams, as prescribed by ma their master chief, an FBI sniper team, the US, USA weightlifting team, dozens of NFL and NBA teams, 
They're all on subscriptions by recommendation of their head sports head of sports performance. Motherfucker. We're close, Bert. We're close. By the way, secret time. I use these little packets for margaritas. No sugar margaritas are fucking awesome. I would wake up. Here's what I also love that they don't mention in this read is it 16 ounces of water. So you can pour like, like I have this size cup. I, it's like 16 ounces is to here, fill it up with ice and it is absolutely enjoyable. They offer no questions asked refunds. You don't even have to send it back and free shipping on all us orders. Seriously, their customer service team is the kind you might want to grab a drink with and maybe have a kick-ass citrus salt flavored, no sugar margarita. By the way, I absolutely do love this stuff. It's great. And it just bumps you up immediately. If you want to try their sample pack at drinkelement.com slash Bert or search element on amazon.com. Seriously, I have, we have so much of this stuff in this house and we are tearing through it. Try their sample pack at drinklmnt.com slash Bert or just by searching LMNT on Amazon. Thank you so much, Element. You guys have been a lifesaver this summer. So when did you start when did you start getting into podcasting? Because you've been in the podcast game probably as long as all of us, right? Yeah. So I the journey with stand-up comedy kind of went in and out because I, I had met I had met my my now wife um doing stand-up and we started uh, we started dating and and I I don't know what it was, but I, I started getting Mark Ellis, who's who's also uh, is Mark a, Ellis. he's like my best friend in the world. And he um so he and I started doing movie reviews for this now defunct thing called Current TV. It was Al Gore's like internet thing. <laughs> I remember Current TV. Yeah, Current TV. So a friend of mine had asked and she, and she said, Hey, I you want to review television pilots. And they had those little, um, what the hell, not flip cams, but they were like, I don't know what the hell they were. But these, it was these little, like little mini cams that you would shoot the reviews with. And we shot television pilots with it. And Mark and I did it with like, I don't know, 15 other people. They liked us the best. So we started doing it regularly and we started doing it on camera together and it just kind of clicked. So we started doing that more and more and more. And after about a year, we're going to have this show with Rotten Tomatoes. It fell through. And we started, we said, Let, we're having fun doing this. Let's start our own YouTube channel. So we started Schmoes No. And we wanted to just be. What year is this? What year is this? Two thousand. Well, we started doing Current TV two thousand seven. We started doing uh, because I st- I was working at like Joel Silver's company at Silver Pictures, and I shot my, and I left there to go do my own pilot, and I put Mark in it, and that became the conversations of he and I saying let's do something together, and then Schmoes No started in two thousand and eight. Um, yeah, we started just because I've time. known of Schmoes Nose before I knew that it you were part of Schmoes Nose. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I've known Schmoes Nose is like one of the longer one of the longer properties IPs in comedy out of LA that, I mean, it's, I think Rogan started in what, 2009. Yeah. So yeah. So so you guys were ahead of the curve. Well, we started doing just a YouTube and like reviews and all that. And, and because we we were like, there was nobody on the internet that really doing movie reviews at the time. There were like three people. So we said, let's just do it instead of like, you know, we're not going to pretend we're critics. We're going to talk about movies and we'll do it in front of the camera. We'll throw some jokes on it and we'll put it out there and see who's, who's watching. So we started doing it and then we started doing a, a comedy show um, at, um, at uh, this place called Room 5 and it was, it was next to the Acme Comedy Theater. And it was like on top. And, um, and then anyway, so Corolla's producer was there because we had a buddy of mine, Naveed McElargy, 
who had done a set and he was a producer and, and he'd done the set and then he covered it in deadline. And then, um, and then Mike August was, was over there and he, and he saw it. And I started talking to him and Mike's like, why don't you and Mark come on and be on Adam's show? So we started going on Adam's show for a little bit and we, we, we built up kind of an audience here. We met Doug Benson there. We started doing Doug's show. So one of his producers was like, why don't you guys just do your own podcast? So we started doing podcasting. We did that. We did that for a while. We did the Schmoes No Show. And that kind of carried over from me then starting to work uh, with AMC, carrying over to Collider and doing that for like a handful of years. But the big thing that we really started doing, this was the, this was the thing that I'm kind of, that I'm working on now and putting all my kind of bread and butter behind is the movie trivia Schmodown. Um, I wanted to, because do you know, like when I was, I don't know if I've told you the story, but like at both Iona, Oh, I'm sure you know this. Well, what you left, when did you leave in, in Florida state? Uh, 97. Shit. So you might've, you might've missed this. I started running boxing matches at Florida state at, um, at, at, at the end of, at, after Tennessee street and everything shut down at two in the morning, I ran boxing matches and Everybody used to come. Like it was like girls would get in free. Guys paid like two bucks, whatever. Wait, it was. Where at? Where at? The, that's the fraternity house down the. Uh, and and it was like and cops used to come and watch and and sit in the in, in the front row and watch. And I would do rankings and championships and the whole thing. And I put this whole thing on it. And I did, ran that for the majority of time that I was there. And so I've always I've loved uh, I loved uh, boxing for a long time. I really got into the UFC for a while. And then I wanted to um, I wanted to do something with movies where because you know esports got really big and, yeah. and and how esports was really big and like even the spelling bee is on ESPN and I said well why can't movie trivia do that and people are like you want to well, you want to do what with movie trivia I said I want to do rankings I want to do champions I want to do like shit talk I want to take like someone from IGN and put them up against someone from Nerdist and like have a press conference and do all this shit. And I started to do it and the audience started to respond to it. So we put it on Collider and we did, and we ran it for a while. And then I said, like, now we got to do live events. And we went to live and we sold out Chicago in front of a thousand people. You know, we did, we did all these different events. And now we got Kevin Smith is now in the league and he's going up against Chris Jericho. We have free agency, we have trades, we have deadlines. So I, and I, and I partnered, you know, uh, Walking Dead, the company that created Walking Dead, Skybound, um, both uh, Dave Alpert and Robert Kirkman, uh, I partnered up with them, and 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 I'm and now I'm 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 like a VP over there now, uh, working at Skybound because and just working on the movie trivia Shmoda. like they, they yeah yeah dude it was crazy because like so I I built it up there and I started taking it on the road and going all these places and like the fans are like hardcore they do fantasy leagues they do this all it's it's not we do, we have a pay per view happening on Friday right between these two guys and it's like I mixed wrestling with with it also and there's like fake storylines and you know the storylines and characters and heels and and baby faces oh. and all that shit and and skybound really responded to it so i sat down with them and they got it and now we're just we're really working on stuff and like the the youtube channel is doing really well and then and it's it's been it's been crazy i'm i'm like i'm obsessed with it i've got like you know like i said champions and 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 trades and and like uh we we had a draft at the store in the main room we, 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 we did, it was packed, sold out. We had, uh, we had people drafting and, tra- and tra- it was, it was insane. It was nuts. So wait, so, so tell me about the pay-per-view on Friday. Yeah. So, so we have this guy, his name is John Roca. He's the outlaw, the outlaw, John Roca. And he's one of the first guys that we had in the league. And he's like, really like our first, like, like stone cold Steve Austin, right? He's like, he's been in it forever. He's won, uh, he's, he's the current team's champion. He's been the singles champion twice 
Um, he's going up against the number one contender who is the president of Joel Silver's production company. Now, it, it, yeah, he was, he was, it's not, yeah. So it's not, it was, Joel doesn't even run it anymore, but he, but he did. And, jo, and Ethan Irwin is the guy's name, call him big time. And he has been, he was like the VP for a while. And then Joel left and Ethan took over his company. So now you got these two guys battling for the number one contender shot. Um, and it gets intense, man. Like, it's like, like, I got to send you one of these matches. Like it's, you're on the edge of your seat and we've had to, we've had to maneuver because we usually do studio matches. We had to maneuver to, because of COVID, you know, we have to do basically what you and I are doing right now. And, and that's, and that's the way we've been running these things, but there's three rounds. And it's like, the first round is like eight questions of movie trivia, general knowledge, you get one point. And it's like, can, can you get them all right? Second round is like a wheel round. You can land on anything. Like we're putting Kevin Smith categories when Kevin Smith actually competes against Chris Jericho, which is going to be amazing. Um, but there's just a, it's, yeah, it's just this match on Friday is it's, it's like for the number one contender for the, for the overall championship. It's uh, it gets really ESPN is going to, is, is covering us too, by the way, they're going to do this. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Wait, where do where do people watch it? They can watch. So if you want to, if you want to just watch the Schmodown matches every Thursday and every Friday, we have a big tournament that's going to be starting soon. You can go that. That's free. That's youtube.com slash the Schmodown. And you go and you check that out. Um, but the pay-per-view is going to be, uh, you, you can get it two ways. You can either go to the Schmodownlive.com and you can get it there, or we have a Patreon and basically we treat it like a streaming service. It's like at the $10 tier, every pay, every uh, live event that we do, and we're doing five over the course of the next six weeks, you get them all. For for if you're at the ten dollar tier, they just it's basically wanted to take like what the WWE does with their network. It's like nine ninety nine. You just get everything, any pay per view they do, anything. So that's what we've been doing, and it's been working really good. And that's kind of how I I transferred over from just being a movie critic and pundit to basically trying to do. Like, I wanted to be a fight promoter, and now I'm a fight promoter inside of uh, doing it with with movie trivia. That's what I love about this business. That's what I love about, especially not to celebrate uh covid at all but the the fact that covid made everyone pivot the fact that covid made everyone assess the way they're doing business and go how how else can i do this because i'm i'm not going to stop i'm yeah. just going to it's like adversity is the fucking whatever the thing for invention but i i love that and but i love that about stand ups and i think we have that more than anyone is the idea that you would you know that that I'll, I'll use Rogan as a great example, but the fact that he would get kicked out of the store and then start doing the road because he didn't have the store and then feel like he had still time to, to give and start a podcast yep. and a vlog and the vlog kind of petered off, but the podcast caught and, and like he did Joe TV and, 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 and then guys like me and you, I'm, you know, you, you take something that you're passionate about and you go, Oh, I can, I think I want to say it's one of those things that it was beautiful about the store is like you show up to the store and they got roast battle or they've got mm-hmm. kill Tony or they've got different styles of shows than just traditional stand-up shows. Yeah. It's I mean, absolutely beautiful. You have to, like you said, you got to pivot because like we were, we, we were shooting studio matches. I had a live event that was planned. It was like our, our um, based off the kind of the Royal rumble and it's the free for all. And we have, 35 competitors and they start five people at the table and the least amount of points gets eliminated until more people come out. And we were shooting it at the globe, uh, downtown LA and we had it, it was sold out. That was the big one where ESPN was coming down to cover the whole event and do the whole thing. And then it gets canceled because of COVID. Right. And then this, cause ESPN had already been to one of our studio tapings to doing all these interviews like, okay, this big pieces are going to come out. 
And so then we're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, we have X amount of matches in the can already that we did at the studio. Let's release them. Like, well, what are we going to do now? And I'm like, I have to figure this out. So exactly what you're saying, you put in a position, well, will the energy and will the competitiveness still come across if we're doing it on like stream, stream yards and, or, or zoom. And it did. And because, you know, you got people kind of smack talking this character work and, and all this shit. And it's like, and, and when we did this free agency thing and all that, it's like, people are really taking it serious. And like you, I, and it goes back to the negativity that you were talking about. People will right away will say, that's not going to work. You know, how many, how many times were you told, you know, in your life, I'm sure you know, you're going to make a life doing standup. You're going to do what in podcasting, bro, bro, March 17th. I called my agent. I said, my special just came out. I'm not going to sit on my fucking hands. Get movie, get me driving movie theaters. And he was like, what? My agent, the guy that has shepherded my career. What? No, I don't, I don't think that's, you know what? Let's just wait this out. We'll be back in theaters in, in July. And I was like, okay. And then next thing you know, he starts seeing that it's not coming back. And he's like, all right, I got you some offers that you do one thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple guys hit you up. They're like, how was it? You're like, it's great. Do, find your own spin yeah. on it. Like, yeah. I, I know, like, ha, make, have fun with it. Do something. How'd that go? How'd that go? I want to hear about Fucking it. Amazing. Yeah. Ama- Dude, let me tell you something. I, I Segura said, he goes, had I not known, if you had said we got into stand-up and, and you didn't know how it was supposed to work, I would have said, oh, Burt belongs at drive-in movie theaters as opposed to clubs. <laughs> right, like, right. it just is my, like, I, I remember Burr one time said, anytime a guy's throwing a football before a stand-up show, it's a bad stand-up show. And I was like, not in my book. Not your show, right? Yeah, that's, not well, that's, for my show. Right, so, well, that's, right, yeah. Fucking doors open at seven. Everyone starts piling in at seven, parking in. You tailgate in whatever cities allow you to tailgate, you know, and I'm sure yeah. there's cities that are now stricter with the second wave, but like the first round, everyone's tailgating. They're pulling out couches and putting up uh, inflatable mattresses, filling their truck beds up with water. They're grilling out meat. They're drinking beers. They're playing fucking cornhole. Then the sunsets. Everyone sees a beautiful sunset with the, the perfect buzz. Yeah. And, it still starts. and it's just like doing Did you have an arena or like a fucking naval base it's a big screen big stage you can see the person but you watch it we got a th- three camera shoot it's it's fun as fucking shit did, but you, have like, an, did you have an opener for that or, or no oh, i brought like three openers with me oh, yeah. i was like i was like you know what i'd rather have more guys experiencing it than not yeah that's and, fun that's fun though yeah and it was great and 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 then you start looking at it and you go okay so when things back open back up like why not do amphitheaters like why not why not i know i can do it now like there's no fear in it. Look at Chappelle, what Chappelle's doing. I'm so impressed by him in that he opened up a field yeah. and set up tables in a field and was like, this is how we'll do it. He can do whatever he wants, man. He's a fucking, the guy's a little bit. No, but you, but you're that example. You did whatever you wanted. And, 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 I, and it's like, and, and so am I. And yeah. so, is, so is Rogan. He's fucking bailing, going to Texas. I know. I saw, I heard that. Like, he's just, he's yeah. just over it. He's just over LA. He's just like, hey, man, I'm a stand-up comic. Like, I get, I'll move. I also have money. I'll move my podcast. What's he going to do for guests, though? What's he going to do for guests? He gonna, is he going to Zoom? Um, Some, doesn't he have a majority of guests in L.A.? No, 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 no. He'll just fly. If he flies, the majority of his guests, he flies into L.A. anyway. So he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Right yeah, now anyway. so, yeah. so it's the majority of his guests, he flies in. So we'll fly him in. Sure. I mean, knowing Rogan, I'll probably buy a helicopter and a helicopter from directly from the airport to, a, to his discreet location and... They have them come in and then fly them out and bang. And then, by the way, he's got the 
I mean, he's, I don't know what his lease is on his compound or if he, uh, if he owns it outright, but it's, he's still got his compound Yeah, he, that he'll probably keep some of his cars in and do podcasts in LA when it's convenient, come in, bang out 10, go out, bang out 10. Like he's, he's pretty much flying everywhere as it is, even in COVID, like he's been back and forth looking at properties. So, but you look at Joe and you go, so it doesn't have to be LA. It can be whatever city Joe decides to move to. Right. And then he can do stand up there. Cause I know Joe's brain's going, I'm a stand up man. I need to be on stage. I'm not going to fucking sit on my hands. Everyone's looking at things differently, which I yeah. think is well, to be true. To be truthful. I mean, like if I, if like my, you know, my goal, someone asked me like for Schmodown, I'm, I'm, I put every bit of blood, sweat and tears into this thing right now. It's all, I mean, and I'm obsessed with it to be honest too. Like I, I, I feel the same way about this, about the league as I did for like a, a fight boxing and, and, and um, UFC when I would watch it because it's, it's mental combat sports for me. So when I watch it, I want to, I want other people to find it and I want to blow it up and I want to do this, this stuff with it because of exactly what you just said about, about Rogan. I would love that. The fact that I would be able to just say, okay, look, I'm going to be traveling to, we did a show in Atlanta and then we were supposed to go to Houston and we're going to, if I can travel and do all these things and shoot a couple studio matches and move somewhere else, because you know, property ain't cheap in, in LA in the first place. Right. And other things are in general. And, and I don't know if I want my kids, like I got, I got two, I got two girls, you know, I want, I, I think I want them, I want them to live in like the suburbs somewhere. I don't want them to grow up in LA, but right now they kind of have to, you know, I like kids grow up fast, man. They grow up fast. Yeah. Well, how yeah. you, how old are your kids now? 16 and 14. Shit. And, uh, it moves really fast and, you, yeah. and, it, and it's, and you, you can, uh, I would, I, I, I wish, I wish, uh, my, I don't know. I don't wish anything different. I'm really happy with where I'm at, yeah. but it would have been cool to grow up on a lake in fucking Tennessee and have the girls water skiing every day. And right. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. So like, that's, that's what I would love. And overall too, I would love to be able to just do that. So we're saying like, cause I'm, I have that thing where I think what we're talking about to where I, I never think, and I think this is anybody who, who wants to be successful in anything. I never, I always think that I haven't succeeded at all. I always think that. I, I think the exact opposite. I, yeah. I mean, I, you, you've been, you've been working, I think longer than the majority of comics, definitely longer than definitely longer than <laughs> anyone that you started with as a store. I mean, you've been working, and making money longer than any the majority of our friends. And so that's what I, like, I remember saying to Ari one time, I was like, I was bummed because I, I wasn't past at the store and I was doing travel channel, but I was doing the road. And I think I like, I'd done a special and I had a podcast and, and I was like, man, no one wants to be where I am. And he shut me down. He was like, are you being fucking serious? You're out of your mind. Are you telling me none of us would like to have a job. He was like, Bert, you make money. You can buy a house. Like that's really big in our business. And I, you forget that because you go, I'm just getting by. Yeah. I got a few sponsors. I'm paying some bills. I, I got, I got a little bit of a nest egg, but I can't like, if shit shuts down, I'm fucked. Right. I need to figure it out. And then Ari just shut me down. He's like, no man, everyone would like to be. And he goes, everyone would trade places with you. You have a show and you have a deal for fucking four years. Yes, everyone would love that. On that side of it, I agree with it. And, and, and it's funny that you say that about Ari because Ari gave me similar advice one time on the patio at the comedy store where I said, ah, oh, man, and I've never done this since because I don't do this normally. And I said, I can't believe that that, that, that dude is getting that kind of uh, response because of this. And he goes, don't worry about that dude. 
He goes, where yeah. about what you're doing? He's like, what are you worried about that guy for? He's like, that guy, it doesn't matter. He has nothing to do with, with what you're doing. Focus on you. And I never did that ever again after Ari had the conversation. He was right Ari's right. a very wise guy, really despite is. being one of the dumbest human beings alive. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. and I can say that, I can say that till the day's end. I have got carte blanche with Ari Shafir. <laughs> Man, my wife, my wife has a real problem with me being friends with him. Because and, everything kind of went down. Yeah, I get it. Because I'm drugging me and whatnot. And so, but it's interesting because I go, you know, he's a very valuable friend to have because he, for whatever, for whatever reasons, his jade is always in the right direction. And when it's in the wrong direction, if you point it to him, he'll shift his jade to the right direction. And he's very, he's a very insightful dude. And he's always been that way with, like, I remember one time we were in Montreal and, and I, I didn't belong there. He definitely did, but I did not. I wasn't even doing new faces. I was, by the way, I was like probably 40 something. And I was just doing some bullshit show because my managers got it as a favor for, cause Sebastian did a show. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I didn't feel like I belonged, but Ari and I went to lunch. He didn't need to go to lunch with me. He could have gone to lunch with someone that was more successful. And we talked about story about like what makes a great story. And I, knew that I could tell a great story, but I didn't know what made a great story. And then we talked about it. And we talked about, we had just watched Sebastian tell a story and we kind of picked apart what was great about Sebastian's story and what was bad about Sebastian's story. And all of a sudden I'm figuring out how to do this business better. Yeah. And you know, and Ari's not there trying to teach. He's trying to figure it out too. That passion that people have about, about, any aspect of what we do is like, that's all I want to be around. And that's why like when Rogan says he's moving and you know that fucking 20 kids are moving too. you know that 20 kids from the store are moving wherever the fuck Rogan plants his roots, 20 kids are going there sure. tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure. But the um, truth is like, who doesn't want to be around that passion? Right. Well, that was, and, but that's, that's kind of what I meant though. I think that's one of the thing that kind of fuels me is that where I I always see a level and I think that a lot of people do that where you see a level where what you want to do and it, and it's, you can't go into the negative and say to yourself, okay, well, I'm not there and now I'm going to be angry about it. It's just like, what am I, what am I not doing in order to get to that next spot? So when I tell you that I feel like, you know, I, I don't feel like I, I'm very grateful for the fact that I, I'm, I, that I, that I'm providing for my family and I have a gig and I'm making, of course, I'm grateful for those things. But it doesn't mean that I've succeeded in my head in the place that I want to take this thing. I can tell you, and you know, yeah. what's that? Keep going, keep going. I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like when, like when you're on, like you can just tell where there's certain things. Like when you, when you, like it's. I, I equate it to like when you have a joke and you start this, you start a new joke, and you know that the bits and pieces are there because you know, okay, it might not have hit that night. But it's still there. And, and someone's like, nah, that joke's not going to work. Like, no, I know it's there. I can feel it. Like, the essence of the joke is there. And they laughed at a part of it that I know that if I just expand on it a little more. But how the fuck do I expand on it? And then you work it and you retool it and you do it. And then that becomes like your closer. And you're like, see, I knew that I could make that work. That's how I feel about the Schmodown. Like, there's things about it. Like, when I go and I take it in front of a thousand people, and when you initially hear it's just movie trivia, people are playing, wait, it's just movie trivia. Well, it was just baseball at one point. It was just football at one point and then became fucking football and baseball. When I, the guy was taking a ball at one point. That's all it was. It was like, yeah. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hit the ball and I'm going to run around these four squares of shit, you know, and it's, and, and, but it became the, the national pastime. And so when I see people 
screaming and yelling for a dude who's got a, a cowboy hat on walking through and he, and he and in front of a thousand people and they're screaming and yelling and chanting his name. I said, if I can do that for a thousand people, I can do it for 20,000. I can do it for 30,000. I just got to love that thinking. I love that fucking thinking. But I love that to. fucking thinking. But isn't it? But but you have to feel that way, because like if those thousand people feel it, well, if you find the right audience, the 20, the 30, the 40, the 50,000 people will find it. It's, oh, they're out there. They're fucking yes. definitely out there. It's the frustration, though, of it, dude, of the fact of like, you know, because my I took my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel used to be just Mark and I doing movie reviews. And a lot of those people were like, well, where are the movie reviews? I don't see you doing movie. I'm fucking done just doing movie reviews like this thing. And nobody does this, what we're doing here. And the hardcore audience that, that finds it, they're there every week watching every match. And it's it's now saying to people like my friends came from New York that had never seen. They knew what I was doing, but they, they didn't really know. And they came to a match and they watched it and they didn't know shit about the answers. But like, dude, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop watching. He's like, that, how do they how do they know this? How do they know these things? It's like watching an athlete. Like, how do they make that catch? It's like, how do they do that? And and I'm telling Bert, when we get back, when we get back to normal, I'm going to I'm getting you front row at one of these things. I got to have you there because you fucking lose your mind. You'll love it. I, I love, I love, I'll tell you what I love and, I, and, I, and is passion. I love it. I love when people are passionate about anything. So the fact that you could get to go like, uh, Segura shit on wrestling. I know. I saw, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> it does. Segura's passion is just trolling people. Right. Yeah. And so, so, but I, I love that about him, but I also do love, I, I'm very fascinated by wrestling. I always have been. I grew up in Florida. There's no way to not. When you've yeah. seen Dusty Rhodes live, when you went to school with live? Mike Graham's son, yeah. you know, like, like I didn't go to school with him, but we went to the same. We're the, we, he was my age, yeah. and so you look at these. His daughter, Mike Graham's daughter, I knew her. Like I, you, these are like the biggest names in wrestling in, in our area, mm -hmm. and and you're you can't help but be fascinated by it. And then there's a time where you get to a certain age where you kind of shit on it. And you're like, ah, whatever. I'm not. But then when you see people that like like fluffy or right. or uh sam roberts or any of my friends that are passionate about wrestling you start going oh this is fucking pretty interesting and then you find out the rock's fucking amazing dude and then you're like then i don't know if you've seen dark side of the ring i've seen part, i've seen a couple episodes yeah dude, uh, it's crazy. Like fucking yeah. next level yeah it's nuts and well all that i mean because so the funny thing is about fluffy is i I used to host a, um, the, when, when Simone used to go out of town, I would co-host the rod pod with the late, great Roddy Piper. Um, yeah. and that's where I first, I, that's not where I, first, I met probably back in the day when we used to do the ha ha together, but that was the first time we kind of sat down and really, really talked about it too. But yeah, it's that wrestling hardcore audience. I'm not into wrestling as much as I used to be anymore because I was more like the, when I was working there, like the attitude era and like the old school stuff, like um, but I still, I think they're doing, I think AEW is doing great stuff. I think WWE is kind of a mess right now, but, but either way, AEW's, like, uh, Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes and, and Jericho oh, and all oh, those. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and they're doing great stuff over there right now too. I think they're kind of going to the essence of what like wrestling is, but, but either, either way, it's like, I took the fundamentals of a lot of stuff, especially like the storylines that I did. Dude, we had, we had a guy get hit with a chair at Booker T's arena in the movie trivia fucking game. Like, uh, so Booker, Booker T was a guy that I met back in when I was working there and he became a fan of the Schmodown and he reached out to uh, his buddy, Brad Gilmore, who now works for us and he co-hosts his ESPN show with him, reached out. We got Booker T involved and Booker's like, come do a, come do an event at my arena in Houston. 
And we did. And Booker got involved in the storylines and we had these two guys performing and it was like, and it panned out so well that we actually, we, we've done physical violence in the showdown like four times now. And it's all gone really, really well. Every single time. I've loved it. Um, but it's, but you know, you got to pick and choose your moments, but it's, and I think we've taken a lot of wrestling fans. That was the thing is that I wanted to aim towards the wrestling fans. Cause I went to a, a, a SmackDown was here at like the Staples center. And I went and I wanted to say, I didn't watch it as much, but I wanted to go and not for, not for any, thing for vanity, but because I, I was wearing a Schmodown shirt and I said, I want to walk through and I want to see how many wrestling fans noticed, not me per se, but the, the logo. Yeah. And a few, and a few did, but in my head, I'm going not as many, this audience should know about the show that we're doing. And that's where inside of my head, I'm going, what do I do? What, what's next? How does the marketing, is it this, is it that? And it's like, it's like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind trying to figure everything out as it's like going through your head and you're trying to grasp at stuff going, Oh, I need this, this. And you don't know how to, you don't know how to get it yet. And it's the most frustrating thing, but it's the most, it's a satisfying thing, right? Cause you want to like run after it, but it's like, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's, you're chasing like that fucking stallion that you want to get on and, and, and figure out how to ride it. And it keeps kicking you off. You know, yeah. it's, I think stand up, you feel that way too. Well, it's, it's funny because people try to, you know, uh, they try to kind of put parameters on stand-up. You can't talk about this on stage and you can't yeah. talk about that. And and what they don't understand is just that is going, hey, if you tell me what I can't do, then you really inhibit what I can do by saying yeah. like, hey, you can't talk about this. Well, the first time I write this joke, it's not going to be appropriate. Right. And I may be the only motherfucker that finds something funny in this. I just wrote a joke the other day and I ran it by my wife. I'm going to run it by you. And my wife was like, it's not funny. Oh, the premise was... um. My wife's older than me. She's like two years older than me. And the premise. Well, that's that, the first part of why she didn't think it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go, she's always talking about aging. And when she talks about aging, I, I haven't noticed that I'm aging, but I hear her talking about it. And I'm like, stop. Just, I don't want to hear about it. And she'll say stuff like, oh. I'm getting crow's feet. I'm like, bitch, I'm in the front row. I'm seeing all this. Like you think you, I just got readers. I know you're aging. And, so, and she was like, Hey, that's not funny. Don't talk about that. And I was like, don't ever tell me like, you can't do that. Like I'm not going to, it won't be as harsh when I do it and it gets onto a special, but the, the, the beginning of it, whether it's just then turns into a joke about me getting readers or what you can't put parameters on where this art, this idea goes. And that's why, and you can't do that with ideas. If people go, Hey man, that's never going to work. There's so many fucking, I'm going to bite my tongue. Yeah. There's so many, uh, I'm going to try to write this, say this the right way. There's so many police. No, there's so many police. There's thought police in comedy. Yes. Comedy should only be do it one way. Like I know for it's a fact because I, of this dude, it's because of these, it's because of these. Yeah. Like, I, I talked about this all the time. It drives me crazy. Like, so you asked me before, like the difference with like, the comedy story, there was none of that shit. There was no phones. Nobody's taping sets because, and I said this on, when, when I was on, like I said, I hosted Collider Live for a while. And one of the conversations we would have all the time was that the, the comedy club is the comedian's church. It is the place where you need to be able to work stuff out because like I always quote Carlin, Carlin said, anything can be funny. Yeah. I mean, everything is funny. Everything can be funny. And not everyone can make anything funny. It all depends on how it's said, the movements in the body, like the stuff like Sebastian does. Sebastian is 
is funny because he'll move his body in a certain way, like jerk his head back and forth. And yeah. then, he, then he hits it with a, with a word, uh, the way that he enunciates it and becomes that funny. If, if I did that joke or you did that joke, it doesn't hit the same way. So there's ways inside of that, but you have to be able to, like you just said, you got to work that shit out. And when someone's in a, in the comedy club watching it for the first time, and they're saying, that's not funny. You shouldn't joke about that. You shouldn't say that. How the fuck do you know? Now, look, it's on me to try to do that. And you have every right as an audience member to say, I don't find that funny, but you yeah. don't have the right to tell me that I can't keep trying it. Now, your peers can tell you, dude, you've tried that joke for the last year. It never works. You're going to keep doing it. And then you can still say, I can get it. I can get it. And yeah. that's to you. It's, a, it's like a skateboard trick. Yes. You know, how many times did Tony yes. Hawk not land the 780 or whatever it is, 720? And then, and then he did. And then everyone goes, oh, that's now achievable. And right. you're like, yeah, that's what we're trying to do sometimes. That and that and, 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 and the other thing I, I think even we're guilty of it is like, <clears throat> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not use the word, um, this is the right wording. There are so many people that are afraid they're going to look like a guinea pig. Yeah. And you go, hey, you can just do different stuff. Like it doesn't, your path doesn't need to be set in stone of, you don't have to follow what Jim Jeffries did to be successful. You don't have to follow what Daniel Tosh did to be successful. You can also just do your own fucking thing. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, I found a home on, on the internet with a podcast, another podcast and another podcast, cooking show, my standup and my social media. Yeah. That's not the, that's if you told that to David tell when he started, he would be like, uh, that sounds like the most horse shit career in your entire. Oh, and taking my shirt off on stage. That is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard of. And I have no respect for it. However. Yeah. So it's for whatever reason it's, it, um, everyone's okay with the way I'm running my business. Cause it's working. And then people hit me up and they go, Hey man, when you cut those promos, like what camera are you using? You know, when you do your podcast, how, what's, what's your setup? Like, wait, how did you, what, what, why did you and Tom start a pot? Why do you, how do you have a podcast with Tom and then one with Bill? Like, and then you go, Hey man, there's no fucking rules. You keep forgetting that Duncan Trussell said something to me one time. Duncan, he's the best. It, it fucking blew my mind. We're sitting in here and in, in this room and my letterman thing is right behind us. Right. And Duncan's sitting over there against that window. This is before I was putting film on my podcast. Yeah. And by the way, the only reason I use film on my podcast, yeah. fuck it, Rogan. Rogan told me, he goes, start filming your podcast. YouTube bounces a lot of people towards your podcast. Start filming it, put up every episode. Don't fucking slack. Yeah. So we're sitting there and, and I had a panic attack. I was, I was having, I had, I had a book coming out. I had all this shit going on and I was just overwhelmed. And Duncan said, uh, Hey, what, um, why don't we do a guided meditation? And I was like, what? He was like, we should, I'll do a guided meditation. You're having a freak, your panic attack. I'll give you a guided meditation. And then see if it calms you down. And I was like, well, I, we can't do that. We're doing a podcast. And he goes, Hey man, there's no rules. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because yeah. there's no rules. And he goes, that's why I feel bad for Letterman. I said, why? And he goes, he had rules. Like he didn't get to grow, but this is what's beautiful about a podcast is there are no rules. You can make this thing totally different tomorrow. You can it's do it. Wild West, dude. It's a wild, yeah. wild West. And I heard that and I was like, fuck yeah. I remember taking my podcast out on the open range in Texas when we were running Buffalo and having a guy play, fucking the guitar for the podcast and taking into a cave in, in Vietnam and doing a podcast out of a cave. And the fuck out of here. Really? How what was that like? Oh, dude, 
I, it was when I was on Travel Channel. I just bring my podcast equipment with me, cool. and we get somewhere, and I just go, let's do it in a cave. And you hear, I mean, I, I look back at those episodes, and I go, God, I wish I had a fucking camera. Yeah. They would have millions of views because they were the most beautiful locations. But yeah. that's how, long were you, how long were you in Nam for? Just fucking probably six, six days, seven days. I love that question, too. If, if it could, could, could be taken out such context. How long were you in Nam for? <laughs> Dude, we had the hardest. This is back when I had a show where we took people on Adventures of Love a Lifetime. And we had the hardest people finding people. We had the hardest time finding people to go to Vietnam. Because every time I was like, yeah. so we're taking an Adventure of a Lifetime. Are you ready? And they're like, yeah. And I go, if I say anywhere, you're going to say yes. And they go, we'll go anywhere. And I go, we're going to Vietnam. And everyone would be like, we're going to Nam? I was like, no, we're not, we're not being sent to Nam. It's four. <laughs> It's 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 and they were like ah oh, no nah, man I'm out fuck that held out yeah because we will, there's always there's, there's, it's funny because we, even when I, I would just watch the 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 Spike Lee movie the Five Bloods right and I was watching oh I gotta see that fucking thing dude, it's crazy when and watching the beginning of it it's like yeah it's still you, you realize because you said you have this this idea of it in your head because my dad was in was in the war you know so like that's what I th- I think of platoon when I think of it it's like it's still not like it's not it's Charlie Sheen and, and Tom Berenger are over there right now firing at people it's 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 fucking it's a it's a it's a tourist place it's also you know, there's there's city there's there's things go- happening there well not right now but you know what I mean and and it's and so I I do I feel right away like I, I wouldn't go to Vietnam but it's beautiful right oh uh, it cha- I I would say and it's a line I did not come up with Travel Channel did but it changes your cultural DNA. Once yeah. you go there, you see, you see a different, you see a world that you, do, that not only did it, you not know it existed, but you go like, Oh, there's a total different, like there are people not living their lives in the same vein. We are, they are living very different fucking lives, whether it's an old, like, I mean, I had some really fucking spiritual, insane, like, meditative moments in Vietnam where, where I, where I left and I was like, I wanted them. I turned into a bit about me riding motorcycles high and drunk on my, in, in rice patties in Vietnam and Rogan calling me. And it was like, I mean, like it, it was fucking bizarre, bro. Like I six days. That's fun. It was a blast. I was, I, there's, there's a lot of places. First place I go COVID drops first place. Where's the first place you go? Uh, I, I'm, I'm for me, I, I, the first thing I do is I go to, I go to restaurants. I want to eat at, man. I'm, I'm no, a where, where do you want to travel? Where name travel to? Honestly, I'm going to take my wife to Scotland. Oh, never been. I oh, never been. I love oh. Scotland. No, never, never been. I want to, I want to go. My, my wife really wants to go. So the, the first place I want to go is I, I'd probably, I'd want to take her to Scotland. Yeah. And, and, and like the, like that's just talking about with, with the traveling, with the events, like UK has been asking us to do a show there. I want, I've never been, I want to go like, I, I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't traveled enough outside of the, the country. And it's something I really want to do. I want to go to New Zealand. I want to go. I mean, right now, fucking it's, it's, awesome. New Zealand's out of this world. I've traveled, I've traveled extensively like yeah. i've been everywhere there is to go well yeah I was on your travel. show is that your show or you wanted to do that anyway oh i hate okay. traveling okay I hate it like okay. i hate it meaning i i'm the kind of person that gets excited about booking a ticket yeah i get excited about the idea of the, of the being there and having a blast but the idea of getting on the plane stresses me out and then getting there i start panicking and yeah. like i'm not the best traveler but for Travel Channel, I worked, you know, nine years, I think, about traveling the world. You get a call. It was the best. It was the best call. January, as soon as, like, things opened up in January, meaning, like, you got out of the Christmas break, you'd get a phone call from Travel Channel and get on a conference call with, like, six people, and they go, all right, Bert, 13 places you want to go in the world this year. And you'd go, okay, um, 
what about uh what about zanzibar and yeah. they're like put it, put it down and you're like fuck we're going to zanzibar and they're like where else do you want to go they're like and then they look on a map they go what about tanzania you want to go to tanzania and go on a and go on a, a safari and you're like fuck yeah i want to go to tanzania and they're like all right we're already in africa where else do you want to go we're like south africa swim great white sharks and they're like cool now in order to get there we should probably make a stop in europe where do you want to go in europe first and you're like fuck like it was the greatest phone call i'm sure but is it but does that drive you like so and, and how long how long ago when, when that when, how long ago was that like to where Oof, i don't know okay but, well, how old were your kids when you were when you were traveling uh that's hey listen i made some mistakes and working for travel channel was a definite mistake i feel like their lives flew fucking by and yeah it's it i really i have i've told this a few times i have some legit regrets and and one of them being uh one of them being that i was gone as long as i i was if i i look back now and i go god if i just leaned heavy into podcasting and stand up maybe i don't know maybe but but you can't you can't yeah. deny that the path you took is the path you took and you're here right. and you're happy right but yeah, i was i i when i was 40 was my second year of trip flip i did Three more, two, three more years of Travel Channel. So I probably got, I got fired. I think when I was forty-four. Ah, I got fired when I was forty-four, forty-three. Shit. Yeah. See, like that. That's the one. Honestly, is one of the reasons I was, dude. I was I, just a longer story. I, I was a, I was a producer on The Bachelor for a little bit, which is yeah. crazy too. Like that, that, that happened too. And but a lot of they wanted one of the reasons I stayed in post because I was building up on the side. I was building up schmoes. And they were like, we want you to start traveling and be producer. And I didn't go because this is a different thing. You're, you had a travel show and you're, and this is, you're the focus of it. Like working and giving fucking people roses to go to like, you know, uh, Switzerland and not doing that with my wife. I, I didn't have an interest in that. So I, I said no to it, but it's also one of the reasons I stopped doing stand up. You know, it's like, because I was traveling a lot and I was doing stuff and like, cause Retta had hooked. Yeah, Retta had hooked me up with a, with, with a college agent at one point I was doing colleges and like, and then I just, uh, I, I think that the way that I think is Caprillo asked me, you know, he's like, he's like, cause he told me, I remember being at the comic friends with Caprillo. Yeah. So John and I talked, um, we, he came on my show. I did a show called one-on-one with Christian Harloff and John was one of my first guests. John and I, John and I have always been, we've always been pretty, uh, pretty, we're not like, you know, like best friends, but like we've every very, he's always been very cordial, very good to me. Every time I've, I've, I don't know. I know so little about him, but so much from the periphery, meaning right. like, like I remember, I remember when Mike Young was doing the Young American Comedy Tour, and like, and I was doing that with them, and they would Ernst, Burn, uh, fucking everyone was like, John Caparillo is a fucking killer. He's a murderer. A murderer. He was a murderer. He was. I he never was... got to see him live. I never got to see him live. And I, is he still doing stand up? Yeah, yeah. He's in Vegas now. He does, oh. he, yeah, dude. He's got he's got like I think he's doing the uh, Harris's like every I mean he was. I mean, I don't know what it's like out there now, but yeah, he was so he was out there doing that, like that he moved with his family and he's and he's out there doing that now. He's still he's still he's still crushing. So yeah, the only and then and then the other side was, you know, obviously him and Joey Diaz had yeah. beat right. Joey yeah. and I are really close. And so I got Joey to- was always fucking super cool to me too, though, by the way. That's like so I actually asked John about that a little bit on my show when he was on and he talked about it a little bit too. But like, but but again, Joey and I and I and I told John when, when he was on my show is that Joey was a guy I remember because Joey to me, even though I cause he he was always he always reminded me of those dudes I grew up with in New York. And Joey yeah. Joey Joey would always like if I had a set a good set, bro, good, you have this conversation with me afterwards too. And I'd always listen to what he was saying. So I was 
I never like were you talking about like those they were like sides at the comedy store. Yeah, yeah. I was fucking okay. Switzerland at the comedy store, dude. <laughs> uh, it, uh, and like and not and not for any other reason. I just I never got into the drama and of it uh, uh, of any of it. Too. It just not wasn't it just wasn't my my thing. It's why one. It's crazy. There's more drama in this fucking movie uh, review space that I got into than I ever saw at the comedy store. Oh, dude! When I first moved out to LA, I remember there. I remember hearing about mo- guys that were into movies. I'd never heard about that. Like I didn't know that guys were into movies. I didn't like. I I knew there were like Siskel and Ebert, yeah. but I didn't know that there was like. And the first guy I met was a guy named Chris Gore. Yeah, I know Chris, and and he knew so much about fucking movies that I was yeah. like, I was like, what do you? Like, don't you have hobbies? And he's like, yeah, watching movies. Like, fuck well, yeah, I love movies. Well, I rely on those people because they're all my champions in my fucking league. But like, but I'm I'm talking about just it just just the amount of stuff that happened. And I, I think it's the culture in general, man. It's just like there's so much. And because kind of going back to what we were just talking about with you know with comedy and and being inside of of comedy clubs like a com- where a comedian needs to be able to grow inside of it. But now you have people if they record your set and you say something that's offensive, then they put it on Twitter and then you're a villain because you just did it. But it's like ah, but you don't know the whole full joke. Well, you shouldn't be joking about this stuff. And comedians really can't be can't do what they want to do inside of their uh, inside of the the club. Now again, you have to as a comedian know and or at least should have the wherewithal that you're going to make that a joke that you can make it uncomfortable, but yet it's still going to be funny. I mean, otherwise you got to take the hits, you know, but I just don't think that things should be recorded and then put out there on Twitter and all that kind of shit. Like I hate when that's, it it just, it's just that that's where the, like we were talking about before with the tell in that kind of purist stuff, but that's, that's where the purist in me comes like comedian sets should not be taped unless you're taping them for a special. Yes, I agree. Or, or yourself, or yourself, you know. If you yeah, t- oh yeah, we can tape our, I mean, I can tape my own stuff. Right. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's, I, yeah, I agree 100%. I think that, I, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, despite whatever I may look like on the outside, I am a 100% purist when it comes to stand-up. I'm just, I just love, I love when it's done well. I, it's, you know, I, I was, I was telling um, uh, Bill, Burr, uh, I think I was telling Bill or maybe another friend, another guy, I was just, I was saying, you know, people get really very like angry about comedy and, and, and they want to police it by the way, all on both sides. I'm not, I'm not saying just people in the alt community wanting to take down bro comics. I'm talking about bro comics who hate Hannah Gadsby. And you're like, what, for whatever reason it happens a lot. And then I go, Hey, until you go through some shit, then you realize the purpose of comedy. And, and we, I just put our dog down, you know, Sunday Sorry. and, and uh, the, it was very heavy in this house. Yeah. And we ended up, uh, my daughters and I ended up watching a video of me and Tom on our podcast, uh, talking about wanting to meet Jennifer Aniston. And it, for whatever reason, it's a very funny clip because it's just us. We're fucking idiots. Yeah. And my wife walked in and said, what are you guys watching? And now the four of us were sitting around, a phone on the heaviest day of our lives, like a day where it's just shit show after shit show. Our dog passed. We watched it passed and we are crying laughing. And, yeah. crying. and by the way, I'm sure there are people that would not find this funny. We're talking about technically assaulting or not assaulting Jennifer. Aniston. Right. But yeah. we're laughing yeah. and we're making people laugh and my family's laughing. And then you go, Hey man, don't, don't tell me what I can laugh at. Like I need the laughter to get me through the bad stuff. Not just the guys that got, you know, driving a forklift 
it's the guy that goes, my mom's in the fucking hospital putting on a ventilator for COVID. Like I got to drive to the hospital every day, but I can't see her. I, I'm w- sitting in a waiting room waiting for new- news. Wow. I need something to lift my spirits up. Yeah. Be, it, be it movie trivia, be it sports, be it comedy, whatever the fuck it is. You can't take shit away from people. Right. That's yeah. right. I'm with you, dude. It's funny, it's funny you say that too, because it's amazing, especially when you're when you're going through like a, like there's a tragedy or there's something kind of really sad in your life that what can bring that out of you, right? Like that that kind of laughter. So perfect example. This is why I always like San, Andrew Santino and I have been buddies for a while, you know, and and I always and I've never told him this to his face, but one of the things that he did that I'll I'll go I'll I'll step in front of a bus for Santino now because of this. Like he, so my brother passed in in about two years ago and I went back to St. Pete and I was there and my dad was talking about, um, was the, the, the show, uh, the, the comedy, this fucking show that loosely based off the store that Santino was in the, the, the shit, the Showtime show. The, uh, that he, he killing was in. Something. I'm dying up here. Dying up here. Thank you. So I was watching the show, but my dad was watching the show and my dad obviously had just lost his son and was, was, was in a bad spot, but he loved the show. So I was at, it was my dad's birthday right around the same time that we were going to fucking bury my younger brother two days later. And so I texted Andrew and I told him, I said, Hey, listen, my dad is, a, Andrew sends this fucking, uh, and Eric Griffin did the same. We both did it, but, but Andrew sends this video message to my dad and we're sitting there. My dad's, and I said, I said, dad, look at this. And I show him Santino just, you know, and Santino just kind of going on and having a lot of blasts with them and, and cracking jokes at my dad and, and with my dad, my dad just starts, fucking losing it i'm laughing really and it, and it and it lightens your spirit because you need that you need that jolt of oh fuck i got i'm feeling this emotion now and now i need to feel this and like and you know in the case of that video for you and and for the and santino's video for my dad it's like and and it, there was some shit that in there that, that santino said that as santino does that uh that people probably would have found offensive but it's like don't watch it yeah you I'm know talking. what it is people think people think that people are watching comedy like this going yeah fuck women they should all be sexually assaulted that's what i that's why i like that yeah no they're not sometimes people have six sense of humors and they hear something sideways and it makes them laugh sometimes yeah. no one's going like many mentally disabled people deserve it they've gotten it way too easy fuck people in wheelchairs fucking or or going like or, or sitting there going you know you fucking straight white men all deserve to die there are people doing that but that's not the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people are like, hey, Hannah Gatsby, thanks for speaking up for a joke that I that I connect with, you know, that, that makes me laugh. You know, hey, Louie, thanks for being a little bit broken because I'm a little bit broken and now I don't feel as broken and maybe I can learn. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Well, I think there's a thing, though, also it where so I mean, like, and it, well, it just goes back to the same point, though. It's a matter of it's it's it is delivery though too and it is in a matter how how you say things because there are there are certain things that you could that you could say that i mean i've certainly i've watched comedians that uh, many times i mean how many times have you seen open mic comedians that do jokes that are just fucking painfully unfunny and 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 you're just like dude stop just stop performing and but you when you say that and then the person has the right in order to say fuck you i don't want to stop performing i'm going to keep trying to get better and again that same person 2 years later could come back amazing but there are some people that sometimes jokes just and i remember you watch people and god bless the people that just keep going up and trying but there's some people that are just they don't have it and the jay, joke, jay london jay london's the best used to drive a cab and he'd pull up in front of the boston comedy club 
put the cab in park, double parked on West Third, West Fourth, whatever it yep. was. Yep. And he'd say, watch the cab. And he'd go in and he'd do stand up. And I remember hearing people going, this guy should just give it up. I mean, he's not oh, getting he fucking laughs. Fucking three years later, four years later, maybe, maybe a little longer than that, maybe like six years later. He's on Last Comic Standing, yeah. and one of the biggest comics in the country. Oh, it's, and, dude, I, I would, he's one of those comedians at any time he was up. Let's just sit here and watch the air, listen to the air conditioner. Thank yeah. you. He was the best. Thank oh, I love him. Thank you. To the right on the uh, evolutionary chart. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. I went to Bed Bath and Beyond. That was in the Beyond section. Thank you. <laughs> well, listen, we got to do. I'm, I'm building a new studio, and I'd love to have you in in studio to hang and kind of yeah. catch up. I'm down. And, same, and do another you. podcast. I, and I would, I really want to check out this pay-per-view Friday night. What the info is it's on your Patreon. It's on. Yeah, so there's two ways to get what I would, what I would suggest to people, what you can do. If you, if you're listening on audio, you can definitely head on over, just check out movie trivia. Schmodown. You can listen to all the matches that we have that they're, they're on audio, but if you want to watch them, go to, go to the YouTube channel and that's movie trivia. Schmodown. Go to the YouTube channel. And if you do like it, you want to check it out. You can either go to patreoncom slash Schmodown. Um, or you can just get the showdownlive.com. You can go and check out the match. It's Roca versus Irwin. You're going to have uh, a great guy who's been performing for a long time against the president of Silver Pictures going head to head in a, in a really great match. So come check it out. I'm going to check it out. And I, I will tell you this. I said this at the beginning. I'll say this again in the intro. I will say it until the day I die. I will be forever grateful that I started stand up and you were there that night. Because oh, if, if, if I had not bumped into you, I'm not certain I'd be where I am today. I'm being well, dead serious. Well, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate. I'm glad. I'm glad that it that it that it helped you out. And I'm 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 super fine. I hope this doesn't sound fucking uh, uh, condescending. I'm I'm fucking super proud of everything that you've accomplished and 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 watching you kind of kick ass, man. So I would love. I would absolutely love to uh, to catch up again and uh, and shoot the shit. Uh, this is a blast. Thanks, man. Done deal, dude. Congratulations. I'll be watching Friday night, and uh and I'll and, until we can do this live. I'm down. Just let me know when. Awesome, brother. Thank you for doing this, Christian. Of course, anytime. All right, man. Take care. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.